At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Coming up on episode 282 of Wheel Bearings. It's mostly just Robbie and Sam, but Nicole does pop in with her driving partner, Eileen, to talk about their uh, cross-country road trip from Disneyland to Disney World in the Kia EV6. We also talk about the Cadillac CT5 and Super Cruise, longer car loans, faked videos, a small electric pickup from GM, car, uh, car sizes, the Nissan Gobi, and more. All that coming up next. This is episode 282 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abuel Samus from Guide House Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from, let's say, Ars Technica this week. Okay. And uh, I guess you don't have anything that you were driving this week? I didn't drive nothing. I went to Detroit instead. Ooh. Well, we'll talk well, about I'm that later. Actually, I don't think I was in Detroit at all. I was in Warren. <laughs> <laughs> you may have, you probably passed through Detroit though, going yeah. from the airport to Warren. Yeah, I might have passed through. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, if you took took I ninety four and then went up seventy five to Warren, then you at least passed through part of Detroit. There we go. So I, I passed through a portion of Detroit this week, okay. <laughs> but mostly I was in Warren. Um, and Nicole uh, is on the road right now with her. Uh, Fast Women co-host Eileen Falkenberg-Hall. They uh, have been attempting to set a record uh, for a cross-country EV drive, driving from Disneyland to uh, Disney World. So from, from one mouse from, to another. From California to Florida. Mouse um, to mouse. And uh, 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 well, we'll we'll hear how that's going. Uh, she should be calling in in about 15 minutes or so. Um, so. I last week was driving the new the 2023 Cadillac CT5 premium luxury all-wheel drive uh, with the three-liter twin-turbo V6 engine, uh, which is actually a really nice car. I I like the CT5 a lot. Uh, I like the CT4 too. Um, and if I was spending my own money, I would probably get the CT4 because you know I'm. You know, I, I prefer a, small, a little bit smaller car, um, but 
you know, if I had need to also carry, you know, more than uh, my wife along with me in the in the passenger seat, and actually wanted to have, uh, you know, a couple of adults be comfortable in the back seat. The CT4's back seat is kind of tight. The CT5 is just kind of a nice sweet spot. You know, it's it's actually a little bit shorter overall than the old uh, CTS that it replaced when it came out in 2019, but uh, it actually has a longer wheelbase, so it's it's quite quite roomy inside for its size, um, and it's you know it's got this this fastback kind of style to it, even though it, it is a sedan with a trunk, uh, it's not a hatchback, um, and the thing that uh, you know I've driven the CT5 before. Uh, but the thing that I was really particularly interested in with this one uh, is the um, the latest generation of Super Cruise, uh, which is GM's hands-free, um, partially automated driving system or driver assist system. Uh, you know, and I I first drove Super Cruise back in the fall of 2017 when it when it was first launched. Uh, we drove a, a Cadillac CT6, which is no longer available in North America from Cleveland to Chicago to Memphis. And it was a really good system then, um, even with its limitations of what it, what it was capable of. Uh, but over time, GM has made it better, and it's available on a lot more vehicles now. And there's currently two iterations of Super Cruise out in the marketplace. There are some vehicles that still have kind of the first, uh, an updated version of the first-generation Super Cruise that was on that CT6, uh, that's on the Chevy Bolt EUV and the Cadillac XT6 crossover, and both of those vehicles still have GM's old, older electrical architecture. So they have the older version of Super Cruise. The new generation of Super Cruise requires GM's um, VIP vehicle intelligence platform architecture, and so it's on vehicles like the full-size trucks and SUVs, the Escalades, the Tahoes, Yukons, the uh, the, the Hummer, uh, also the uh, Sierra and Silverado, uh, and it's also on the CT4 and CT5. And uh, this one has capabilities that aren't available in the old one. It's got updated, uh, newer sensors. It's got more compute power, um, and it's got uh, capability to do over-the-air software updates, which the original didn't except for maps. <clears throat> and so I spent a good bit of time driving the CT5 uh, on the highway with Super Cruise. And it's gone from, originally they had about 130,000 miles of roads mapped. Uh, it's now, uh, let's see, in 2021, they updated that to 200,000 miles, over 200,000 miles of roads. Um, and it went, it expanded from just fully divided interstate type highways to adding some other divided, you know, slightly more rural highways, you know, that you'll find in a lot of parts of the country where they're divided, uh, but they're still, um, they're not quite fully limited access highways like an interstate. Uh, and then last summer they announced they were doubling that to 400,000 miles, adding a bunch of rural roads and, and other roads. Um, and the, uh, the, <clears throat> the, um, uh, that version, that updated version, has begun rolling out to the full-size trucks and SUVs. They haven't put it on the CT5 yet, so I couldn't try it out on those kinds of roads. But I did try it on, on some highways and, and actually recorded a video uh, doing a drive with it uh, and trying out some of the new features like automatic overtaking and auto lane change. Uh, 
uh, or lane change on demand. Um, you know, I didn't do any towing with this one, but I did last summer uh, try, get to try towing uh, on a prototype Sierra um, at the GM Proving Grounds, and uh, that worked really well. This one, uh, I just did uh, did the highway driving, and it's it's really impressive how well the system works. It still has um, the uh, infrared driver monitor camera uh, on the on the steering column, and um, the uh, uh, the light bar in the in the top part top section of the steering wheel, which I still think is the best. Um, human machine interface that anybody any automakers done for this type of system because it's it's really visible uh, you're you know and it's it's very unambiguous you know it, it goes from blue meaning it's ready for super cruise to green meaning it's active to red meaning you need to take over control uh, and they're, they're you know unlike the you know the way that Ford's done it with blue cruise um, and even BMW on the the seven series on the seven series, it's got uh, some LEDs uh, to give you that indicator, but rather than being that whole top segment of the steering wheel, they're in the, the left and right spokes and it's better than what Ford's done, but it's not, it's not as good as the GM setup. Uh, and I haven't tried, haven't had a chance to try Mercedes drive pilot yet to see how that, uh, that configuration works, but I think it's, it's little it's, lights on the side. Yeah. On the okay. side of the, the, the steering wheel. Yeah, that's they're on the steering wheel, but they're like they're it's it's like the BMW system. Okay, so um, you know the Super Cruise you know does a great job of keeping the car really centered in the lane from the very beginning. It's had predictive speed control, so as you're approaching a curve, you know it looks at what your speed is and what the radius of the curve is because it's got got it all mapped out. If it thinks your speed is a little bit too fast for that curve for it to, for it to handle safely it'll automatically just back off your speed a little bit as you go through the curve and then resume whatever your set speed was and you can see that see it doing that in the video on a couple of curves uh, in the highway um, and then when you're coming up behind another vehicle if you you can you can actually you can go in the settings and you can disable the auto lane change um, and um, as well as the lane change on demand uh, if you don't want it to do that but if you have that turned on as you're approaching another vehicle, you know, in the past, you know, normally it would just slow down as any adaptive cruise control system would do and maintain a gap to the vehicle in front of you. But with uh, the auto lane changing or auto overtaking, really, um, when, it sees, when, when you're approaching that vehicle, it'll start checking the lane uh, to your left. And if it's all clear, it will, in the, in the Cadillac, it has haptic feedback in the seats. So it will buzz the left side of the uh, the seat cushion and and also in the instrument cluster it'll give you an indicator saying hey, you know uh, auto lane change you know before it does it it'll tell you it's going to do a lane change and if you don't want it to change lanes you can just tap the steering or the turn signal stock and that'll cancel it so it won't go it'll just stay in the lane uh, but if you don't do anything then when it's clear it will gently pull over to the next lane pass the car in front of you and if it's clear um, then it will pull back into the right lane again, has proper lane discipline. You know, Just the like kinds of the things all we, of you. All of you should be pulling over to the right after you Absolutely. Pass. <laughs> stay out of the left lane except to pass. You know, stay right except to pass. Um, and, um, and then, you know, if there's another car right in front of it, it'll continue, you know, until it finds a, a clear space to pull back to the right again. Uh, so it, do, it does what you would expect uh, a dis well-disciplined driver to do. Um, and it works really well. 
Um, you know, it's, I, you know, I am still, I still have some skepticism about these systems in general, where the human has to supervise the system. You do have to keep your eyes on the road. You know, if you look away from the road for more than uh, a few seconds, uh, it will start to alert you. And if you, uh, you know, if you don't look back at the road, you know, within about six or seven seconds, I think it'll actually start to slow the car down. Um, and if you continue to not pay, not res uh, respond and take control, then it will um, eventually bring the car to a, a full stop, turn on the hazard lights. Um, when you get down below about 40 miles an hour, it turns on the hazard lights and, and bring the car to a full stop. And if you're non-responsive, you know, I mean, if you've had, you know, if you've had a medical emergency, for example, um, or you've just fallen asleep, uh, then it will use OnStar. It'll say, hey, do you need help? You know, I can call call for emergency assistance, and if you don't respond to say no, I'm okay. Then it'll call uh, 911 for you uh, and send somebody to your location. Uh, so, uh, like I said, it, the, the system is uh, works really well. You can check it all out in in the video that I'll include in the show notes. A link to that. Um, <clears throat> but I, you know, I generally really like this car. Um, the one I had uh, had the optional. 3-liter twin-turbo V6. Uh, the base engine is a 2-liter four-cylinder turbo uh, with uh, 237 horsepower, 258 foot-pounds of torque. The V6, 335 and 405 uh, foot-pounds or uh, 550 newton meters of torque, uh, which is why on the trunk lid it says 550T, uh, which is that's you know, Cadillac's uh, naming convention, you know, the badging convention that they put, they started putting on their vehicles a few years ago. Uh, in addition to the, the vehicle nameplate, they have a number, uh, that tells you, um, the vehicle torque, uh, the powertrain torque in Newton meters, which of course every American, you know, knows to, how to easily go back and forth between <laughs> meters and foot pounds. Uh, As we do, it's something we taught, we were taught in school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's roughly about, uh, uh, about, uh, one and a half, uh, or about 1.4 times uh, the uh, the the number in newton in foot pounds to get newton meters, or divide by 1.4 roughly to <sighs> get to from newton meters to foot pounds. Or use Wolfram Alpha. That's that's my. Uh, well, you could do that too. Or you could just say, you know, hey G, you know, how many foot pounds is 550 newton meters? And it'll tell you that too. Or Siri might be able to do it, but I doubt it. Um. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the you know like I said the size I really like the size you know it's a mid-size premium sedan it feels very premium. Um, one thing that I noticed and I I'm I'm not sure when they actually made this change but I remember back in early 2019 when they were first showing when they were first revealing the CT5 uh, I went to a backgrounder at the uh, at the design studio and they were walking us around and we were, I was sitting in the car and. Looking around, and I noticed, you know, with the the CT5, um, they have uh, a central control knob on the uh, on the console for the infotainment system, uh, and you can rotate it and toggle it. And it's just like a just like a BMW iDrive system. <clears throat> uh, and next to that, there's a volume control. And at least initially, they also had a volume knob uh, next uh, on the screen, on the next to the touch screen on the uh, on the top of the dash. And also a volume control on the steering wheel. So you had three different ways to adjust the volume. Uh, at some point, they eliminated the one that was on the screen, next to the screen. And so you just have the one on the steering wheel and the one on the console 
next to your your big rotary controller now. Uh, but that's fine, you know. Uh, this uh, the CT5 um, hasn't yet been upgraded to the new generation infotainment system that's based on Android Automotive, uh, but it does have support for Apple uh, CarPlay and Android Auto, both wireless, which is nice. So you can get in the car; you don't even have to take your phone out of your pocket or purse. Um, it'll just automatically connect, um, and uh, and then you can use your smartphone projection. Uh, what else? Um, the, the trunk is a pretty good size in this thing as well. Um, it's reasonably fuel efficient. You know, it's got good performance. The one I had was all wheel drive. Uh, it's got a 10 speed automatic transmission. Uh, the, uh, fuel econ- EPA, uh, fuel economy rating for the first, for the four cylinder is 19 city, 27 highway, 22 combined for the V6. It's one less of each. So 18, 26 and 21 combined. I actually got 22 uh, combined uh, over my week of driving it, uh, which is, you know, quite quite decent, uh, you know, compared to the, you know the, the competition in the segment for this performance level. Uh, you know, I mean, it's obviously not great, but it, it, you know, it's 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 competitive with the rest of the market. Um, and uh, the CT5 starts has a base price of uh, just over forty two thousand dollars. Uh, the one that I was driving uh, was <clears throat> pretty much loaded with just about everything, um, and it was priced out at sixty-six thousand three hundred and fifty-five dollars, um, uh, including a destination charge. Um, and guess who just joined us uh, as I was speaking? Uh, Nicole has dialed in from somewhere in the southeast. Um, hey, Nicole. How you doing? Hey. Good. So I am in, where are we? I think we're okay. in Florida. We're in Florida somewhere. I had to think for a second. I'm in Florida. Hi, Eileen. How you doing? Chipley, Florida. Yeah. I'm doing great. Welcome to Wheel Bearings. I'm good. How are you, Sam? So I, I don't know if you've listened to the show Yeah, thank not, you for having we, me. We have a, a little bit of a tradition um, when we're done uh, at the end of our uh, reviews, and we talk about pricing, um, everybody has to guess what the destination charge is. And uh, okay. since, since you're new, uh, you want to go first on what, what you think the destination charge is for a Cadillac CT5? I know it's far too much, whatever it is. Hmm. I'm going to guess fourteen ninety five. Um, Nicole, would you like to guess? I, I'm not going to be even remotely close, so I'm going to go twelve ninety five. And Robbie? Sorry, I had to take my cat out of my room because it was just meowing like crazy. $1,100. Well, this time Nicole wins. Uh, oh. It was $1,395. So Eileen was a little over and Nicole was just a little under and Robbie was Ooh, too I low. never win, Eileen. I never win. Well, this you're welcome. Like, I have given woo. you the magic powers this week. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Well, since uh, since we've got the two of you, um, and uh, I don't want to necessarily keep you too long, um, why, why are you in Florida? So we were uh, trying to beat the guys over at TFL Car. They took a Hyundai Ionic 5 from Disneyland to Disney World, and they drove it straight. Not the idea of, like, speeding, like, as fast as you can, but if you just drove reasonably and efficiently and stopped to charge and sort of figure out where you need to charge, how quickly can you do it? And they did it in 46 hours and 46 minutes. So Eileen and I were trying to beat them in a Kia EV6. And we were on pace to do it. We were on pace to do it. Two things foiled our attempts, which is why we are calling you from a parking lot at a Walmart at a charger in Florida <laughs> and not from our final destination. So when we were driving the first half of the drive, the Electrify America charger, sometimes that's the only ones available for certain stretches of where we were driving. And we had to stop here and charge here. And then we had to get that many miles to get to the next one. And it had to stop at that one and charge at that one. Um, those chargers, almost all of them were not charging at what they should have been. Um, we were getting charging speeds plugging in of like, you know, 59, one point it was 12. (laughs) And and we're plugged into like a 350 watt charger, kilowatt charger. We're not plugged into something that, you know, is only supposed to be like a level one or level two. Yeah. And, and then they were, then we wait, wait, you're, you're, you're telling me you went to electrify America chargers that Uh didn't work as, as advertised. I know. It's shocking news, Sam. Absolutely shocking news. And in fact, some of them actually, once you plugged in and were connected, would say, hey, heads up, now that you've done all that, um, our network is in the process of improving itself, so your charging speed may be slowed. (laughs) Those, it tops out at 69. So our nine-minute charging stop would suddenly be an hour. Like, we had to charge to a certain point. It wasn't like, well, let's just go down the road. There's nothing down the road. This is it. 
So, um, so that messed us up. And even that we were able to overcome that because we were being really careful about the speeds we were driving to make sure we were using the battery as efficiently as humanly possible, topping it off where we could. But then we got to Florida, well, Houston last yesterday, yeah, right? Houston, right outside of Houston. And we had torrential downpours to the point that you couldn't see where you were going. And fog. It and was combined fog. with fog. And as we were driving, like we were getting into, we were in, where were we, Alabama yesterday? Louisiana. Or Louisiana. There was all of a sudden there was a point where like everybody's hydroplaning off the road. Literally, there's just cars off the road and emergency vehicles. There was an entire truck carrying cars that was off the road this morning. And not just off the road, into the tree line, yeah. people going away in ambulances. It was extremely it, dangerous. It was conditions. really bad. So we last night, like 40 hours into the deal, we're like, you know what? This is silly. Like we're not going to risk our, getting into hmm. trouble. So. We decided to call it. We pulled over at a hotel, and now we're just going to start back up this morning. We're going to see how long it takes us all together, but, like, way longer than those guys even taking out the hotel stop because we were driving, like, 45 miles an hour through that rain, you know? And with the all-wheel drive system working, we had the max defrost on. We had the windshield wipers going. Even, you know, conserving power inside the car only to those necessity functions, we still wore down our charge pretty significantly. Well, the rain, like both the fact that you're fighting wind, you're fighting rain, but um, also yeah. you're fighting the, yeah. the surface tension of the water. I mean, all that like kills. Rain. Exactly. And it was like, we, Robbie, it wasn't the surface tension. It was the fact that we were fording water like we were driving in a dark Jeep. <laughs> there was like, it was the arc. The EV6 became Noah's arc last night. I, like, so I mean, plugged into charge the last time we charged before we pulled over and she taps on the window because I'm hiding in the car. I'm like, you go charge the car. I'm hiding in here, right? And she, she's wearing flip-flops. The water is so deep. It's running over her ankles. Like, she's just standing in a small lake. And I was to on an in. incline in a parking lot where the water was running. It wasn't like it was just sitting there and stagnant collecting. It was, it was, I have never river. been that wet and I shower regularly. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that uh, that you both stayed safe. Um, you yeah. Because I, I did see a headline a little while ago uh, about some tornadoes. Uh, and thunderstorms that also came through um, central Alabama uh, yesterday. And and uh, yeah. some people did not fare so well. So I'm yeah. glad that both of you are both safe. Um, so o- overall, how has the, I mean, you know, setting aside, well, actually, first, you talked about Electrify America and your challenges yeah. there. But I know from following you on Instagram over the last couple of days, that wasn't the only network that you used, right? Yeah, we used um, EVGO. And EVGO was fine. We had no problems with it. I think we used EVGO once or twice. 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 And we used ChargePoint once. And ChargePoint, also fine. No, no issues. They You drove up, plugged in, charged, got, got a reasonable amount of kilowatt hours. Like you looked like, yep, that seems right given where we pulled in as far as our state of charge when we pulled in and how it ramped up and how it ramped down. Everything seemed fine. That station that we used for ChargePoint was in California, and it actually maxed out for us. It was running full max the entire way like it should. Like that was the most operable of all stations we visited. Yeah, so that one was really good. So, you know, other chargers, and we have since had, like, we're an Electrify America charger right now, and we're getting, and I can tell you, what are we getting? We're getting, yeah, see, it's, it's we just got over 80%. We just pipped over 80% charge, and we're down to 89 kilowatts. But when so it was running full steam, it was about 200, 205. Yeah, so this okay, one's nice. fine. That's, That's a good click. That's a good, right. Yeah. So, so I mean, so you get them when they work, they're great. Like, and they'll be fine. But when they don't work, you're like, seriously, seven. And it was like, I just remember sitting in a parking lot and it was seven kilowatts coming out of that dang thing. There was no other charger. There were four in this lot. Three of them didn't work. We were the only one that would work, had to plug into every single one 
to find out that they didn't work. Oh. And, and we were on the border in a border town surrounded by um, Customs Border Protection vehicles at a day's in in a parking lot full of stray dogs. Yeah, it was super at safe. At like two o'clock in the morning. So just like all those factors together, <laughs> that was a very limiting experience. <laughs> So, how about the car? How, how you know you mentioned you know that it handled well in the in the torrential yeah, rain. Yeah, you know, how has it been overall? Despite the challenges with the charging and the weather, the car has been fantastic. And like we were saying yesterday, truly horrible rain amounts on the road. Like the road literally had inches of water just cascading across it. You could feel that you were driving through water. You can feel the resistance of the water under the wheels. But it, the car handled beautifully. The all-wheel drive system in this did not miss a beat. We had no problems. There's Continental tires. Uh, I forget which Continental. True contact, something contact. They've got good tires in the car that are actually rated. We looked it up to be good in the water. We're like, heck yes. The tires nice. did really well. We never felt like, like I knew I was driving in water. You could hear it. But I never felt like, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm in danger of slipping. Like I need to slow down. And it was more we were stopping – because the fear was like I was watching people on the road who were almost running into each other as they were sliding. And it wasn't it was like it's not so much me, it's the other guy. Yeah, you know it's what always I mean? somebody in like a like a like a like an old F one fifty doing eighty yes. miles an hour, like I yeah. don't need to slow down and then their back end just slides out and hits exactly. you. Exactly. Where we where we finally where I finally called it and said, That's it. We came over across, there's you know, emergency vehicles on the side of the road. And there's a Cadillac Escalade in the woods. I'm like, I'm out. This is it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to get hit by a Cadillac Escalade. We got to pull over. We got to stop. The Escalade. Wise, wise decision. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So we, we did get um, a question from a listener, specifically for the two of you, uh, from Gifted okay. Napper, who has, who has uh, sent us questions in the past. Uh, he posted this one on Mastodon last night. Uh, it says, I'm wondering how, uh, how the two of you like or don't like the dual function audio and climate control buttons. Uh, I tried them once and it was almost a deal breaker on the car for me. Curious if you get used to it over time or if it's still just as annoying. Okay, I got used to it. I'm not keen on it. It's a little frustrating. It's especially frustrating like you're trying to adjust the climate. Like I'm driving, right? And it's driving, it's night, it's not great conditions. I'm trying to adjust the climate. I have to change. But if I don't change the button and then adjust the climate fast enough, now it's not on climate again. Wait, I got to put it back on climate, put it on climate again, adjust the heat. Uh, I find them frustrating. Eileen, what did you think? I don't care for it. I, I like it in theory a lot more than I like it in reality. And I also have trouble with the uh, climate control itself. Um, I don't care for the way that that, like, I don't, the way it, it dispenses the air and diversifies the, I don't care for it. Like the automatic climate control is not where I want to be in life. Okay. It's, it's, yeah, no, I, I, I've used it too. And I, 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 what I end up doing is leaving on climate control and then using the volume controls on the steering wheel. But I, I still like, I still like, we'll turn that wheel, that little knob and be like, oh, it's getting warmer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, aside from the the challenges with charging, um, you know, assuming that that were to someday potentially get fixed, you know, having driven almost all the way across the country now in an EV, yes, yes, would would you say that an EV is uh, is a, a viable vehicle to to have as as a single vehicle you could use for anything, including a cross country drive? Okay, yeah, technically, yes, you can do it. Um, the Yes, I would be tempted to not have if I did road trips all the time, if for some reason, I was doing this every couple months, I probably wouldn't have an EV be my only 
choice because the two that like let's assume even that the network works right let's assume i walk up to every charger it works it charges what it's supposed to there still aren't enough of them so you end up in locations like we were in some pretty sketchy locations we watched a drug deal we did we watched a drug deal in one parking lot um, that's, just entre- a- that's just a small business i don't know why you're <laughs> <laughs> we, we thought it was a prostitution thing and we were relieved it was just a drug it's like deal. oh no she's just walking out with a little baggie okay it's drugs um but like so if you're if you're traveling a lot like do you want to stop? Not even just yourself. You're say it's your you and your wife and your kids, right? Do you want to stop in a sketchy parking lot in the middle of nowhere where they're doing a drug deal to charge your car up in the middle of the night because there's literally nowhere else to take it? Like that. So I don't think it's ideal for long distance road trips. I would still not hesitate to buy an EV as my second car in a heartbeat. Um, but I think if you're a long distance road tripper, like a PHEV is a better choice. You can still get some electric vehicle use out of it, but you don't have to stop in that sketchy parking lot to charge. You don't have to worry about finding, you know, there's four different chargers. You back to the first one. No, you back to the second one. No, you back to the third one. No. And you're thinking, Oh God, if this fourth one doesn't work, I am in the middle of nowhere with just border patrol here to help me. Like that's, it's not, it's not ideal driving across country yet. You can do it a hundred percent. Is it easy to do? Absolutely not. Okay. Well, since uh, I know you're already over 80% charged, uh, I'm sure (laughs) you probably want to get this thing over with. So um, any, any last thoughts before we let you go? No, this was really fun. You know, even though we didn't beat TFL, um, stupid Roman still wins the record there. Um, we, this was a really great experience. We learned a lot about driving with EVs, and it makes me feel like I understand the challenges, the pros and cons of it a lot better than I did before. And it was it was a fun experience. As much as the crazy, the drug deals, the prostitutes, the whatever else, the water, it was still a lot of fun. And we talked to a lot of cool people along the way who were asking about the car, talking about vehicle charging. There's a lot of excitement for EVs, so it was fun. I enjoyed it. I concur. I would do it again. I'd love to do it in a different vehicle with a little more range. Yeah. Which, All right. So are you guys still, are, are you both still going to go to Disney World? Do you get to go have I fun? am. Eileen wasn't ever, but yeah. Are you, do you Eileen. even know me? <laughs> yes, I'm going to Disney World. Duh. All right, just I'm, double. I'm, going, I'm going to a bar and then going to a plane and flying home because I haven't been home in a week and a half. Home. <laughs> Who needs home when you no, have I know. Disney characters? All right. Well, thank you for calling in. And uh, for for those that haven't listened to the Fast Women podcast, if you want to hear more of Nicole than you hear here and and also uh, hear Eileen's thoughts, um, make sure you check out that show every week as well because it's a great show. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Uh, All right. Let's get into um, a few items uh, for this week. Um, first up, Robbie, what's Yo. the longest car loan you've ever gotten? Three years. Three I, years. I, the, the, I, I know there's five years. I know there's. I know. Then they just keep getting longer and longer. And in my brain, I'm just like, I if I can't afford a car after three years, then I shouldn't be buying that car. That's my, that's my thought process. Because I, a, I'm, I'm very cheap. But also, I think I feel like I'm being a little bit responsible, but mostly I'm just cheap. Well, no, I mean that that's a, that is a, a very reasonable um, thing to do, a, a very reasonable response. Um, and you know, I mean, there, there's being cheap, you know, and you've also got to, you know, everybody's got to watch their budget. I mean, you know, every, 
unless unless you are wealthy, which none of us are, um, at least none of us recording the show, um, you know, we, we have budgets that we have to work within. We have a certain amount that we can afford to spend on transportation every month. Um, and, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, having a car loan that, you know, stretches almost as long as your mortgage, um, to me does Oof. not seem like a great idea. Um, uh, but, um, uh, in the last couple of years, um, loans have been getting, as cars have been getting more and more expensive, um, you know, in order to try to get, um, lower monthly payments, a lot of people have been shifting towards these longer interest loans. And, you know, until, you know, until this past year when, um, interest rates started going up and when you could get, you know, if you had reasonable credit, you know, you could get interest rates, you know, for under 2%, uh, in most cases on a, on a car loan. Um, you know, a lot of people have shifted to six and seven year loans. And I think in Canada, even eight year loans are increasingly common, yes. you know, so 96 month loans. But, um, according to a story from the, the, the drive, uh, actually, I guess it originally came from automotive news, um, by uh, by the end of October of 2022, nearly a fifth of new car buyers last year had gone for seven-year loans on a car, which to me is just bonkers. I remember when five-year loans came along and people were like, why would you do that? Why, that's insane. And now I think those are pretty much the norm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the longest I've ever done is, is four-year loans. Um, and, uh, and you know, even that, you know, is, is a fairly long time. But, you know, when the average price of a new car, uh, the average transaction price is nearly $50,000 now, you know, unless you have somehow managed to save up, you know, twenty twenty five thousand $25,000 for a down payment, um, you know, then you might not be able to afford a payment longer than, uh, you know, or, or more, you know, more than what it would cost for a five-year, you know, four-year, you know, five-year loan. Because, uh, you know, the, the shorter... The shorter your terms are, you know, the shorter the loan term is, you know, the more your monthly payment's going to be. And that, you know, is often the desi- deciding factor for most car buyers, you know, in terms of what they can buy is what is the monthly payment? Um, you know, what what can I afford to spend every month on this thing and, and know that I'm going to be able to pay for it and fit it in my budget? Yeah, yeah. And, that's that, that, and the unfortunate part is that if you just want a regular nice car, you're paying all so much money. And if you're like, okay, well... You know, I live in a, I live somewhere where I need a car. I have to get to work. I have to take my kids to school, or I have to, you know, I have things I have to do. I need a car that'll fit this many people. I'll do this thing, and I'm like, oh, it's thirty five thousand dollars. Okay, and you think about that, like, oh, that's five hundred dollars a month for like a three year loan. You're like, well, I can't afford five hundred dollars a month, so I'm gonna have to eat that extra. You know, you're paying more over the long run because you're getting a longer loan because you're paying more towards the interest than you are to the to the. Um, to the actual than to the actual car because your loan is longer and you're just it's just on uh, it's you know, cars are too expensive is the <laughs> yeah and you know especially evs uh you know oh. i know you know uh last time i checked a few months ago you know the average transaction price for all vehicles in the u.s was for was a, a, almost forty nine thousand dollars and for evs it was sixty six thousand dollars now hopefully this year that will start to moderate, um, you know, later this year when we start to start to see some less expensive EV new EVs coming to market, like the, uh, the Chevy Equinox, which is supposed to start at 30 grand. 
um, you know, that'll help. Uh, and hopefully some of the price increases that we've seen on EVs will start to get, because of increased battery prices, will start to hopefully get rolled back a little bit uh, yeah. as the, the battery material costs start to moderate as well. But um, it's going to be I, a challenge. I will say I had a friend who just bought a, a Ionic 5 like yesterday, and they were saying that they were getting the car for $9,000 less than the person who was supposed to buy the car and that the dealership seemed like they were like really trying to sell the car like because the lot was full. So I think we're hopefully coming out of the whole supply chain issue where you you know someone's going to rip you off to, in order to get a car because there's only three cars on the lot. So it, you know this is anecdotal evidence um, based on a friend from you know text messaging, but hopefully for people who are who are buying cars who have to buy a car right now, um, it's 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 not going to be nearly as 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 horrible on your bank account. Yeah, and I have seen a couple of other reports in the past week that car prices are starting to, to slow down a little bit. Um, although, you know, that's, that's not universal across the board. Um, actually just saw, uh, somebody posted, uh, on, uh, on Twitter, um, which I'm just checking into for notifications, uh, a, uh, a sticker from, uh, from a Toyota dealer in, uh, North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, uh, for a Corolla GR, um, oh, and, uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the MSRP on this car, yeah, $38,945. They have something called the millennium package for $995 classic package for another $995. And then a $19,995 market adjustment, um, as well as $799 for documentation fees. Uh, and then, uh, 1851 for tax and then another $205 for non-tax fees whatever whatever that means what is this what for, is for a grand total of $63,785 oh. for a Corolla GR I mean that's all we're always going to get hosed on those cars though yeah that's that's the problem with those with those like short run enthusiast vehicles is they know they're going to find some some kid who's super into you know that vehicle or or some parent or who's who's happy to buy their child a vehicle or someone like me who's won the lottery for some reason somehow i've won the lottery and now i'm driving like <laughs> i'm gonna go buy a gr corolla for seventy thousand dollars like I, I got angry because i you know i have the i have the brz and I was like, well, I can sell this for twenty-two, but if I want to buy a new one for a thirty-thousand-dollar car, the markup in the Bay Area is thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars. That's I'm like that's fifty percent of the price. Yeah. No. I just that's, walked. That's I actually laughed out loud at the Toyota dealership because I went. Uh, I had to take the Hyundai in to get like the wheels rotated or something. And uh, so I walked down to the Toyota dealership, and they had a GR86 in in the thing, and I just I I I laughed out loud very. <laughs> Because I was just, I was like, oh, it can't be as bad as the one that my friends sent me from the Subaru dealership uh, earlier that week. And I was like, ha! And I just turned around and walked out. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, next up, um, let's see. I don't know. You, you may have all seen uh, at some point over the last several years. Uh, it's been actually, what, uh, it's been over six years now since it was originally posted. Um Tesla posted a video that is still on the Tesla website on the autopilot page, uh, which is commonly referred to as the Paint It Black video because the, the, the soundtrack to the video is, is the Rolling Stones song, Paint It Black. 
And it's a it's a time lapse video that purports to show a Tesla Model X um, driving itself around uh, around um, the Palo Alto area where Tesla was headquartered until uh, they moved to Texas. Uh, and the the opening title card on the video uh, says, you know, that. Um, you know, this car is driving itself, uh, the driver, you know, the, the, the person is only behind the wheel for legal reasons. Um, well, it turns out that it wasn't showing quite really what, uh, what was being claimed. Um, a couple, uh, back in 2018, a, uh, uh, an Apple engineer named Walter Wong, um, crashed his Model X on the 280. Um, I think come, I don't know if he's coming home from work or going to work. Um, I think it was in, heading, uh, to, heading to work. Okay, in, yeah, in Silicon Valley. And um, uh, he had been using autopilot, uh, and he was not holding on to the wheel, as the instructions explicitly tell you to, and not really watching the road, apparently. And he, prior to this crash, he had reported to Tesla and to, um, you know, to Tesla customer support at least seven times that, you know, the car was not behaving properly and it was veering towards the center median um, on this stretch of road. And yet he continued to use it. Um, and ultimately on that last day, um, the car crashed into the center median and he was unfortunately killed. Uh, and his family subsequently sued Tesla for wrongful death. And um, uh, that trial is uh, about to get started. And some of the documentation uh, from the discovery process in that trial uh, has now been released. And um, uh, the director of Autopilot Software, uh, whose name I can't find at the moment, uh, but in his deposition for this trial, he acknowledged that the video was staged. He was asked about this video and said, you know, acknowledged that it was staged. It was not done in one single run as Tesla has purported for the last six years, it was, it took many takes, you know, and cutting together the video to get what appears, you know, from watching the video, a clean run. And because it's not done, it's, the video is not in real time. It's a time lapse. You know, it, it's a lot easier to, to fake that sort of thing. Um, and he also, uh, acknowledged, um, that, uh, uh, Tesla CEO, Elon Musk, um, approved it and, in fact, encouraged it and said, just uh, a, a quote here from the deposition, just want to be absolutely clear that everyone's top priority is achieving an amazing autopilot demo drive, Musk said in an email. Since this is a demo, it's fine to hard code some of it, since we will backfill it with production code later in an OTA update, uh, referring to the temporary code. And, and what they had, had actually done is rather than just putting in a destination, and having the car navigate itself to that destination, they had hard-coded in a specific route and what lanes to use and everything. Um, so basically the whole thing, you know, is like a representative of the way the car actually behaves. I've, um, back, in, back in the before times, um, there were a lot of uh, autonomous startups, and they would drag me to to Las Vegas or wherever to, to show me off. And it was almost always on a route. This is the route we're using. We're going to use this route, and the car is doing. It's just it's just driving along a route. 
which yeah. is essentially, you know, it's like a remote control car. You're just controlling it from a route. There's someone in the car, but <clears throat> telling something, this is what the lane you should be in. This is what you do. This is the, without it actually having to figure that out, that's not really, that's, that's, yeah, that's not actually autonomous driving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's autonomous to the degree that, you know, it has to react to some things in real time, like other vehicles, and pedestrians and so on. But, you know, it's, it's not what Tesla claimed it to be. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and it, it still isn't today. You know, the, the so-called full self-driving beta that they have today still is not capable of it, – it's more capable than what was in this video in terms of just putting in a destination and it'll try to figure out a route and try to get you there. But it's not capable of doing it in a way that is safe and reliable, that you can, you can just take your hands off the wheel and, and sit back and relax you do have to be paying very close attention yeah. because it frequently does the wrong thing at the wrong time. It, you know, it's funny because you know Tesla no longer has a, a press department. But when they did, and I was getting cars from them, um, I would make sure in my videos and in my articles when I was writing about the Teslas that I would say this is not a self-driving car. I was very, mm -hmm. you know, I was I wanted to make sure that people who who bought this car, who were thinking about buying this car, knew that it was not a self-driving car. And the press team would thank me for that. They thank you so much for saying that. We really appreciate you doing that. Because somebody else who worked at Tesla, let's say the CEO, was constantly like – you're showing like people like, hey, it drives by itself. It does this. But the reality is – and the reality that the press department has to deal with is the fact that it's not a self-driving car. And I would write these articles or I shoot these videos and they go online and I would get emails and I would get – DMs and I get you know at reply you don't know what you're talking about it's a self-driving car da 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 and either these people were either Tesla owners or people who just saw the hype they saw this video and they're like oh it's a self-driving car I'm like no it's not a self-driving car Tesla is actually t and I you know I'm, I just don't reply I don't know what to what to tell these people because nothing I say is going to change their mind at this point and you know the the you know, the fact that the that the press team would tell me Thank you. And it, it was also funny when the uh, Tesla would show me how to use a feature. Like, this is a new feature. This is how you use it. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'd use the. That's how I would use the feature. This is how you use it. I do it in the video, and people would send me messages. That's not how you use that. I'm like, the people who built this, <laughs> they had an engineer come out and show me how it works and explain to me what's going on in the car. But yeah, you random dude. <laughs> It's always yeah. a dude, random dude on Twitter. You know better than the actual Tesla engineer who built this. Fine, fine. <laughs> yeah, and um, the uh, the the title card in the video that I was, I was looking for before says the person in the driver's seat is only there for legal reasons. He is not doing anything. The car is driving itself, which it was not. Yeah. Um, and uh, at another thing, at, at the end of the video, it's about a four-minute video, and I'll put a link to it you can watch. Um, the engineer steps out of the vehicle. The driver's side door appears to shut itself, and the vehicle parallel parks in space with no one at the wheel. However, in the course of filming this, it took several tries to actually get it to do that, uh, including one attempt in which it ran into a fence at Tesla's headquarters in Palo Alto. <laughs> so, oh, I always feel bad. There, there used to be where their Palo Alto uh, uh, headquarters was. There, it was like surrounded by like horses. Yeah. The real, the only autonomous vehicle you can really get, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> is a horse. <laughs> you don't have to do any. The horse will just go where it needs to go. Yeah. Um, but I was always like concerned about them hitting a horse. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, oh, the the, uh, the the director of Autopilot Software, uh, who was in the deposition, his name was Ashok uh, Elaswamy. Um, and uh, one of the questions that he was asked as well, another question he was asked, was about operational design domains. So in, in developing automated driving systems, you know, they use the term operational design domain. So what, you know, what, is, what are the limits of what, where the system can operate? So like, can it operate in daylight? Can it operate 24 hours a day? What kind of weather? What locations? And so the ODD is just, these are the, the criteria that the, the engineers have set as the limitations for where the system can operate. When it gets outside of that, and you know, for Super Cruise as an example, you know, it was a, the original ODD was divided highways, you know, and they've gradually expanded that to more kinds of roads since then. Um, uh, Elaswamy was asked about, you know, what is an operational design domain, and his answer to the question was, "I don't know." This guy is the the head of Autopilot Software, and didn't know. You know everybody in this industry knows what an ODD is. He did. He was either lying and saying he didn't know, or if he was telling the truth that he didn't know, this is not somebody who should be at any in any way involved with developing automated driving systems. So, anyway, I yeah, I don't want to go on too long about this one, but uh, just you know, be careful out there if you've got a Tesla or any other vehicle with any kind of partial automation. You know, be aware of what it can do, and more importantly, be aware of what it can't do. And don't don't try to explore the limits. You know, it's 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 not safe for you, and it's also not safe for other people using the roads because you're not alone on the roads. Um, you know, it's this is this is all you know. We we have to share the roads with other drivers, with pedestrians, with cyclists, um, you know, with animals. Um, you know, and they did not consent to being part of an experiment. So Those horses, you know, be, don't yeah, forget about the horses. Yeah, don't forget yeah, the horses. You know, be respectful of other road users and do not try to. Uh, whether you're, you're trying out your your automated driving system, or you know, you're just taking your your sports car out, you know, for a Sunday Sunday morning drive, you know, be respectful of others on the road. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> one of the uh, the segments that has really popped up in the auto industry over the last year and a half uh, and is starting to gain some real traction is uh, small pickup trucks. They, you know, they finally came back and, you know, we've been quite effusive in our endorsement of both the, uh, the Ford Maverick and the uh, Hyundai Santa Cruz. Um, and now GM is apparently finally looking at doing a small pickup truck. Yeah, so uh, so Hannah Letts wrote something over at Auto News. We both saw this. We were actually in the same group. We both talked to <laughs> And it just writes faster than me. Uh, yeah. uh, I have an article going up on, on, on Ars Technica next week about this. But uh, as Hannah points out, that um, we, we went into a design studio where they were showing us design, essentially design studies for what uh, GM is thinking for a sub $30,000 EV. And uh, the first study was under, under uh, what do you call it, sheet, a black sheet. Silk. And it l- Silk. I just, I, yeah, a silk. Um, and it looked like, well, you know, it like, kind of looked like a baby, like a baby Bronco. So I don't think Hannah, I don't know if Hannah mentioned this in her article, but there's, there's like the little, you know, it looked like a small, like sport utility with a little tire on the back. Cause you know, you throw that tire on the back and suddenly everything's cool. Um, and then they had a they had a, a crossover that was a bit more dynamic than the, the Equinox coming. And then they had a, a wagon that was also under silk. 
uh, which you know Americans don't want. Uh, <laughs> we're like, oh, a wagon, <laughs> and then and then at the very end, it is very small. Um, truck this little tiny pickup it's you know it seats two um it has a four and a half foot bed it's very low slung and uh what i i mentioned in my rs technica piece is that it reminds me of the nissan uh gobi a bit oh but, yeah but remember the gobi from the from 1990 i remember being obsessed with the gobi by the way when uh when it showed up in all the the glossies like we just kept talking about the damn nissan gobi with my friends so much so he wanted me to shut up about it <laughs> Um, but if it's a little bit more slow, uh, uh, low slung, it's a bit more dynamic and it's really, it's built for, you know, going to the beach and, 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 you know, throwing your surfboard in the back and all this stuff. And while that design probably won't happen, you know, it's, it does show that, uh, GM is definitely looking at that small pickup, um, market that, uh, Ford and Hyundai have, have finally have returned to. And I'm doing quite well with, and everyone else for some reason just kept ignoring because they're like, well, just make bigger and bigger pickups, which I understand the profit margins on a pickup are bonkers uh, versus the profit margins on a cheap, small pickup, less bonkers. Uh, but at the end of the day, people really like, I mean, that Ford Maverick, people are buying that thing like, like gangbusters. And in addition to that uh, vehicle, we did a, I don't know, Zoom call essentially with the California design studio and they showed us a small truck, which is about the size of a Maverick, but lifted and they didn't show that it was under silk, but he, he lifted up just a little corner so we could see the bumper and a little bit of the grill and the uh, grill looked a bit like a Hummer. So it was like a small EV Hummer. They kept saying it's sustainable. It's, you know, extreme <laughs> sustainability and they kept saying off road and whatnot. So it, it's, it's not too far fetched to think that they're doing a, a Maverick or Ford, you know, Ranger-sized, uh, off-road, um, tinier Hummer for, I guess, the rest of us. And that would probably that would likely be more expensive. That's probably like a fifty thousand dollar car. But the fact that they showed off two smaller trucks, both of them EVs, during this uh, this uh, tour of the Warren, Michigan facility, um, is, is 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 good news for people who, frankly, they they want something they can haul stuff with. That's not you know they that isn't doesn't start at fifty thousand dollars, sixty thousand dollars. Not yeah, everyone needs an yeah. I don't. Not everyone needs an F one fifty or even a Ford Ranger. You know. Again, after driving that Maverick, I still think about the Maverick. I still have the wood that I cut for it to put yeah. in the back for the video. <laughs> so I still am like maybe we should get a Ford Maverick. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, this you know, looking at the Gobi again, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the uh, the Dodge Rampage and the VW Rabbit pickup of the uh, the mid eighties. Oh, it does. It's it's like a Gobi and a Dodge Rampage had a little baby. <laughs> that's 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 kind of what now now that you think I, I completely forgot about the Rampage. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I hadn't even looked. I don't even have to look at the Rampage. I can see it in my mind's eye. <laughs> yeah. So you know, do you do you think that a two door, you know, two seat pickup of this size would actually be appealing in the U.S. market? I mean, I can see where it would have an appeal, you know, in some other markets. I'm not so sure about the U.S. market. The, the U.S. market's got to be a four door. It's not yeah. going to be a small. It was smaller, you know. This this vehicle was smaller than the Maverick. Um, but the U.S. market, we we need, you know, we gotta you gotta have that those extra two doors. You gotta be able to throw two people in the back or your dogs or you know the mm-hmm. the car seat situation. That's a huge that's a huge huge deal. Um, you know, you need that, you know, that rear seat in order to feel better about that. Cause you don't want to shove them in the front and then turn off and remember to turn off the, 
the 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 airbag and you know all that stuff. So yeah, no, I, I don't I don't I don't think a, a two door um, pickup in you. I mean, you can get a single cab truck. I've seen like two. Yeah. <laughs> in my in, like in like the last year, like brand new, but no one no one else no one's buying the, those. I mean, the 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 only. The only customers that buy those really anymore are, you know, some fleets. Yeah. Um, you know, that like, you know, local municipal fleets, you know, will buy them, you know, for their parks crews, parks cleanup crews. Yeah, like yeah. You see them for the parks crews. I've only seen two outside of like the, all the, the park, like the state, regional and national park crews. Every, everyone else is getting that, that extra cab or king cab or super cab or mega cab or ultra cab, right. and, whatever. You know, and when uh, when Ford launched the Lightning last year you know we asked them about you know would they do uh a two-door you know a standard cab version uh or even extended cab and he said well we could but you know 85 percent of all f-150 sales are you know this crew cab short bed configuration um you know and they just didn't see enough potential demand for a standard cab version of it um so you know especially as an ev yeah. yeah, especially with the, with the EVs because it's really trying to make as much money. And that you know, when we talk to to um to them, you know, it's it's really you know, as they're looking at a sub $30,000 vehicle, it's really about trying to figure out how you can build a vehicle that doesn't have too much R&D because that goes into the cost. It doesn't have too much development. You can say, "Okay, here are all the designs and then you have to figure out, okay, which of these, if we have two of them or three of them, can we use parts from other vehicles, but, you know, non-customer-facing parts so it doesn't just look like a parts bin car? Um, and so there's a lot of thought that goes into making an inexpensive car because it has to be an inexpensive car from, from beginning to end, from, from idea to, you know, selling it to you on the lot. You know, you can't spend, you know, billions of dollars <laughs> doing yeah. R&D to make a $25,000 uh, EV because you're just you're losing money. It's it's not just the, the actual manufacturing of the vehicle. It's all it's everything about that. And so, it, you know, it's 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 you know, they have to think about that and they have to think about, you know, we can't you know, they, they, they don't want to put a $25,000 vehicle that they've that no one wants to buy. Mm-hmm. That's that's the other thing. So, you know, they have to do. Like focus, you know, I talked to them about focus groups and or or auto shows, like which is better. And they they actually uh, they're saying, well, focus groups are, are actually a little bit better because you can ask why they don't like something. Well, well, you know, they can ask people to elaborate because you put a car, a concept car at a show and you ask everybody how much they like it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I love this. You know, this is great. But yeah. if you put them in a focus group and you say, hey, you can be mean about this car. And they can, OK, well, this is what. It, tell us I, what you really think. Yeah, tell us what you really think. So. Um, if you get on one of those groups, um, I don't know, small trucks and wagons, just uh, <laughs> be the person who, uh, who, 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 and, and we talked a little bit about this. He's like, you know, who loves uh, wagons, designers, and auto journalists? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, and, and Europeans. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> designers, automotive journalists, and Europeans. He's like, it's it, it's cool. It's a fun design. It's a fun design piece, but. If no one's going to buy it, and you know we've had we have wagons in this country, and like Volvo had some really nice wagons, and this no one was buying them. You're like, yeah, if, you know, tried. Well, give, given the choice of you know a Volvo V60 or an XC60, Volvo customers bought the XC60. Overwhelmingly bought the XC60. Yeah. That's their number one is, selling vehicle, which is unfortunate, but that's you know it's just the reality of the situation. So, all right. 
Well, speaking of, of big cars, um, one one last item um, over on uh, on the bird site, uh, our friend uh, Brianna Wu uh, posted something this morning, a screen grab from a site that she found uh, called carsized.com. Uh, and that's uh, sized, you know, kind of like um, with a D on the end. And uh, she posted it. And, and what you can do in there is you can pick two vehicles and it overlays them on top of each other. And you can have it line them up, you know, by wheelbase or, you know, line them up the front end or the back end. So you can compare the difference in size. And she put her, uh, her Boxster on there with a GMC Sierra pickup. Um, and, uh, you know, the Boxster definitely fit within within the uh the outer limits of the tires not quite within the wheelbase and so i went there and put uh miata on there and the miata pretty much fits within between the axles of of a sierra of a crew cab sierra um and so you can go through and there's yeah i think it's actually a european site because there's a lot of european brands on there as well uh, but you can you can find most cars, you know, from at least, you know, over the last uh, couple of decades. Um, and you can compare the sizes and see, you know, uh, even take the same vehicle from different generations and see how they've changed and grown. Um, and they have grown. They've they've gotten bigger. Oh, yeah. I love to tell a story about the, um, the time we went to uh, do a car shoot. I think it was the – it doesn't matter. And there was a CRX there, and we were like, oh, we were waiting for this the, the, the owner to come back uh, so we could talk to them about their CRX. And while they were gone and while we were doing our shoot, uh, Nissan, like, I think it was a Nissan Versa. No, it was even, it was a Toyota. What's the tiny Toyota? That's your cell? No, Echo? no. The, the, well, maybe it was a Nissan. Yaris? Anyway, Yaris, that's what it was. The Yaris showed up. And, they keep changing uh, the name. Yeah, so. Yeah, so the Toyota Yaris showed up, and it just, like, it just it's huge. The, the CRX just looks so <laughs> tiny next to the the Yaris, which if you see it on the road now and you see it in a, in a in a in a lineup at a showroom, it's just such a small car. But it was just so much bigger than the CRX. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, back, I remember back uh, like 2009 or something. Uh, I was doing a first drive review of the second generation Honda Fit um, for Autoblog, and. You know, in looking at the dimensions of this thing, I decided to go back and pull up the specs for the original 1976 Honda Accord. You know, and the Accord was considered, at that time, was Honda's bigger car because it was quite a bit bigger than the Civic yeah. of that generation. And the, the 2009 Fit was about eight inches longer than the first generation Accord, which you know, at, at that time and now you know, is considered a large car. You know, it's no longer a compact car. It's a large car by EPA standards. And the, uh, the fit, you know, was bigger, you know, smaller than the, the, the then current Accord, but quite a bit larger than the first generation Accord and a lot roomier. Uh, I remember a friend uh, when I was in college had one of those first generation Accords. You know, we were carpooling to, to work. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, what that one felt like. And, you know, my daughter had, um, a 2008 fit, first gen fit, you know, and that thing felt so roomy compared to those old accords. And it's, you know, it's amazing how, you know, how these things have grown over the years. Yeah. They just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And like, if you drive a car, a friend of mine went and drove, uh, a, a Datsun, 
B something. I don't remember which one he drove. It doesn't matter. He's like it's he's like it was like you know he's he's had he has a GTI, he's had a Prius, he's had a bunch of cars, and he's just like I haven't not been in a car from the seventies in a very long time. I felt like it's just there's nothing. It's just you and so and like a slab of like a tiny sliver <laughs> sliver of aluminum and the road. He's like I felt unsafe because you know those doors were just like metal glass. You know, for your window and the little mechanism to roll the window and open the door, and then like you know some little panel. That's it. It was super yeah. thin. And he's like, I felt that's, like that's I was what's like, like in my Miata too. Yeah, you're just. I felt like I was just like in the road. I'm like, well, that's that's how old cars were. We just didn't think about it back then because we're like, oh, this is how all cars are now. There's such a huge like chunk of like car between you and the road, just be, you know, just for a lot of reasons and, yeah. and a lot of them safety. And, yeah, and you know, funny thing is, you know, a lot of people talk about how much heavier cars have gotten. And uh, I wrote an article a few years back that, you know, and that, that's true up to a point, at least you know, prior to EVs. With EVs, we have taken a big jump in weight, but um, with with gas engine cars, you know, if you compare generations of um, of a particular nameplate, like say, let's take the Honda Civic, if you compare the today's Honda Civic to a Civic from the 1970s or early 80s, yeah, it is a lot bigger and it's a lot heavier. But uh, what I actually found was that, um, you know, if you go, if you actually compare, because, you know, what typically happens is any given nameplate over, from generation to generation typically gets larger and moves up in size class. So, you know, the original Civic was, you know, sub-sub-compact. You know, and today it's, you know, pretty much a midsize car. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at similar sized cars, you know, similar, similar length uh, and width from today versus 30 or 40 years ago, they're actually not that much heavier. They're, in fact, in many cases, they're the same or lighter, despite the fact that these new, these modern cars are way stronger and can withstand, you know, if you, if you took a 1980s Honda Civic and did, a modern crash test with it, you know, it would just crumple up into a little ball. Yeah. And, you know, nobody would, nobody would walk away from it. And you do the same thing with a modern Civic and, you know, you can, you can walk away from that. I was at Honda a couple of years ago and they, they did a demo of the small offset rigid barrier test with a Civic and you could still open the door, open and close the doors after the crash test. Um, and, you know, that same Civic compared to a similar sized car, of 40 years ago actually weighs about the same. Um, you know, but you know, now it's got, you know, eight, 10 airbags in it and all these other features that weren't in those cars. And it's so much stronger. So, you know, the, they've made a lot of advances in materials and everything else. It's just that, you know, at the same time, consumers have also demanded larger vehicles so that they, if they would just stay in the same size vehicle, you know, they could get a lot more without getting heavier but they've gotten into bigger and bigger and bigger vehicles, you know. So now we have ninety-five hundred pound Hummer EVs, and it's sad. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's you know, but there there was a good video a few years ago from Toyota, from an older Toyota, a new Toyota, or maybe it was I don't know if it was from Toyota, it's from somebody, but it, I think it was like the old Tercel or the old Camry or the old Corolla. I guess not Tercel since that's not you can't buy a Tercel anymore. But I think the older Corolla or the older Camry versus the new one and just the the crash, essentially the crash test of both of those vehicles. And you're like, oh, oh, this is why you buy your kid a newer car. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and, and GM did that with, uh, yeah, I think, about 10 years ago with a, a then current generation Malibu and, 
and the original first generation Malibu from the late 60s and crashed them into each other. And, you know, same thing, you know, the, 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 the modern Malibu, you know, you could open and close the doors and walk away. The other one, you know, just crumpled up, you know, even though it was a larger car, you know, it, it, it was just totally destroyed. Sheesh. Yeah. All right. Let's answer sure. a couple of questions. Um, Who's got for, questions? First up from uh, Jonathan Brown. Uh, says, love the podcast, yet I wonder where a 40% increase in sales for any automotive company is considered lacking. And this, this is referring to uh, Tesla uh, announcing their um, end-of-year sales results uh, a couple of weeks ago, where you know their overall deliveries, uh, global deliveries for 2022 were up 40% compared to 2021. Uh, in a year where supply issues are still an issue for an, any automotive company, an increase in unit sales, in my opinion, is impressive. 40% is amazing. Um, personal opinions are always welcome, yet when political bias by automotive journalists and hosts is so obviously biased, respect for professionalism can be diminished. A dislike for Elon Musk as a human being is sadly biased. I don't agree with that. I, 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 before we keep going, I'm going to say okay. I do not like Elon Musk. I have a lot of friends who work at Tesla, and they're and, a, and I know a lot of people who work at Tesla, and they're smart and they're wonderful people. And I do not want Tesla to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I want Tesla to be run by an adult. That's that's yeah. it. I, I think I, what Tesla has done, and it's a group effort. It wasn't just Elon Musk is amazing, but you also have to take into account that the man is insane. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I, I totally agree with that. Um, and just to finish up um, uh, Jonathan's note, Musk's purchase of Twitter and open it up from political bias one way or the other is, again, a challenging event for those who preferred the previous use of Twitter. Um, fun podcast, even if we disagree. Uh, if we all agreed, life would be boring. I'm really just <laughs> suggesting a slightly better balance. Uh, the new Corvette E-Ray releasing on uh, 117 should be quite the attracting discussion for your podcast. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree with what you said, you know, about Tesla as a company. Um, I mean, you know, and, and we've said this a lot over the years. You know, I totally respect what Tesla has done in terms of inspiring the rest of the industry to do better with EVs. And, you know, we're, we're starting to see that impact now across the industry. You know, Tesla was the first to really demonstrate that an, a, a modern EV could be something so much more than just a basic economy car. Compliance. Uh, and it, that it could be... Yeah. We'd all be driving yeah. compliance cars still if it wasn't yeah. for Tesla. Or, or Nissan Leafs, you know, with 70-mile yeah. ranges. Um, you know, and, you know, they've all, you know, it's not just, just on the um, electrification side, but, you know, they're, what they've done with electrical architecture, uh, with software, you know, there's, there's a lot that they've done to inspire huge changes in the way the automotive industry operates. And that's good. And they deserve credit for that. Um, but they also, at the same time, deserve condemnation for the way they've handled autopilot and full self-driving, uh, which we already talked about earlier. Um, you know, and to the you know the the forty percent increase in sales, you know, considered lacking. You know, I think overall, you know, on its own, I don't think anybody necessarily considers a forty percent jump in sales, especially in twenty twenty two when most companies were struggling to build you know everything they could. Um, that's not the issue. The issue with Tesla is that, you know, right up until, you know, well into the fourth quarter, Tesla was still projecting that they were going to have a 50% increase in sales. And most of the, the disappointment at a 40% increase in sales was not necessarily from people like us. It was from Wall Street, fin- from Wall Street, from financial analysts who 
you know, made their their pricing their stock pricing projections, assuming you know based on the guidance that Tesla was giving them, and Tesla fell short of their guidance. And this happens in every industry to every company where the company falls short of the guidance. I'm not saying it's a good thing. You know, I think that you know analysts, you know, financial analysts need to do a better job of you know really understanding what the companies are doing. And I think a lot of financial analysts don't really understand the stuff that the companies that they're covering. Uh, but that's a whole other issue, and you know yeah. we don't need to get into that here. A lot of you know it, it's the 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 I think the 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 lacking that's that's a stock issue. Uh, yeah. Tesla's been over. Even Elon Musk has said Tesla is is not worth as much as the stock has said. And this was years ago, obviously, before you know he started making billions of stock and <laughs> selling it. Um, so yeah, it's 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 really a, a stock issue, and you know an overvaluation of Tesla. And yeah, forty percent sales increase. That's in, in, a, in a in a sane world. Like, good job, well played. Yeah. Uh, but that's not how Wall Street works. Like it's the same thing that's happened with uh, Apple. Every time Apple would have mm-hmm. an event, the joke was Apple would have an event, show all these great things that millions of people are going to buy, and then the next day their their stock would drop. It's just every yeah. single time. It just didn't, and it's it's because the analysts like expected something more. They always expected a brand, an iPhone, which was such a huge game changer, and that's the the chances of that happening every year are just no. That's not going to happen. That it's like a once in a generation type of device. Uh, you know, they had the iPod, they had the iPhone, and now you're like, well, now what? And you're like, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it's it, that's it's yeah. If you look at the it's really a lot, a lot of the financial stuff, and and it doesn't help the the stock when the owner or the CEO of the company is also the CEO of another company and another company and another and company. Another company. <laughs> and he's he's clearly not paying attention to really the one that makes him all the money. To mm-hmm. to be honest, and and if I were a a, a a a I don't own any stocks in any automotive car things anything that I cover because blah 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 ethics. Um, but if I own stock in Tesla, I'd be kind of irritated by the fact that the person who I put my trust in is over at Twitter doing whatever he's doing over there, regardless of whether or not I like Elon Musk and what he's tweeting. The the, the fact is he has a car company he should be running, and that's where <laughs> – go run your car company. I don't want to see your posts about whatever. I don't care about you. You know, especially just as a – and the financial world is very much as black and white. I just want to make money, not lose money. That's it. There's there's no sort of like oh I like Elon Musk I don't like Elon Musk that's an individual thing but in the financial world, it's 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 just down to well he's not doing his job because he's over here and they didn't hit the projections and maybe that's because he didn't do his job which probably isn't but doesn't matter because that's how the financial markets work. Yeah. All right. Enough of, enough of uh, that. Um, we got another question from Troy, which came in via email, and uh, you can send those questions uh, to feedback at wheelbearings.media. And the other thing you can also do, um, you know, if uh, if you want, is you can actually record, uh, do an audio recording, use you know uh, the voice recorder on your phone um, to record a question or comment, and just post it somewhere on Dropbox or iCloud or OneDrive or you know wherever you want, and send us a link to it um, at uh, at Feedback at email or feedback at wheelbearings.com. And uh, we, you know, if it's as long as it's not uh, too long, uh, we'll include that in the show as well. So you can participate that way. Uh, but Troy asks uh, My wife currently drives a 2011 Ford Escape uh, with 132,000 miles on the clock. Uh, so this is the second generation Escape. 
Uh, she's be- be- beginning to look for a new vehicle. She's five foot ten, and our eight year old daughter is five foot. Uh, we tend to keep vehicles for ten plus years. Good for you, Troy. Good, good plan. I like that. Um, try to, trying to find something that will accommodate our growing daughter. We don't want her to be super cramped in the back seat. She's uh, she's been looking at the Ford Maverick, uh, Ford Ranger, Subaru Crosstrek Outback. Um, and I tried selling her on an Odyssey, but she does not want to entertain a van. Oh, bummer. <laughs> That's just me all the time. Just buy a minivan, but please go on. <laughs> uh, anyway, I drive an F-150 crew cab, uh, and that has plenty of room, but it is too big for her. Understandable. It's, it's a big truck. A, yeah. uh, we, we live in the southeast and have to evacuate for hurricanes, so legroom and storage are key. Thoughts and questions. Kia, well, up at, Kia uh, Carnival. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's not. It's not a minivan. It's, it's not an a minivan. MPV. It's an MPV. I've been it's a thinking about this the, vehicle. It's funny because I've been thinking about this for the last two weeks because I'm always trying to get people into a, a minivan because they're like, oh, I have a kid, you know, especially if they have babies and toddlers, mm-hmm. where it's you know it's difficult to open that door in a busy in a, in a crowded parking lot, and the fact that the door just slides open and you have all this room for literally everything you need to drag your child around the earth, you have that in a in a minivan, and then I was like. Kia Carnival, because it, it's it's not a minivan. It's yeah. MPV. <laughs> <laughs> and and if you still can't convince your wife that it's not a minivan, um, you could take a look at the Sorento, uh, another really good choice. That's not too big. Uh, it's it's roomy enough. Um, and uh, you know what I would suggest is don't get the optional third row uh, because it's pretty much useless anyway. Yeah. But you'll have lots of cargo space in the back. And you know we were just talking about vehicles getting bigger. Um, you know, Hyundai's been making some of their vehicles in the latest generation considerably larger. The um, uh, the new generation Tucson. You know, if you want something even a little bit smaller than the the Sorento, um, the Tucson uh, is another uh, excellent choice. It got what six eight inches longer in this current generation. Uh, it's got a lot of cargo space in the back. Um, you can get the Tucson with a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid. Um, so, you know, with the, with the plug-in hybrid and actually same is true also for the Sorento, you can get the hybrid or plug-in hybrid. Um, those plug-in hybrids, uh, get about 34, 35 miles of electric driving range. So for your daily commute, um, you know, you can pretty much do all of that on electricity alone. Uh, and then, you know, when you do need to escape from a hurricane, uh, you know, you don't have to necessarily worry about, you know, where are you going to charge it along the way? Uh, you've got lots of space in the back for all the gear. Um, so I think those are, are two excellent choices to consider as well. Yeah. I'm assuming Troy is taller than his wife if she's 5'10 and their daughter, you have an eight-year-old daughter. But by the time their daughter's 18, I guess by the, the, yeah, they need a lot of room in the back. Yeah. Or she'll be so, driving the car. There's also that, that. Yeah. Could be. Putting mom in the back or yeah. dad. Someone has to sit in the back while the daughter's driving. <laughs> I guess whoever she yells shotgun. So Troy, yeah. start practicing yelling shotgun now. You got you got eight years to, to master it. So there's 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 some options for you, and you know, Maverick is always a good choice too. Um, you know, you can you can put lots of stuff in there. Although, um, you know, with uh, you know, you'll you'll probably actually get more stuff in the Maverick, um, you know, even with a tonneau cover on it, than you would in any of the crossovers. Uh, but you might want to um, you, you you might want to make sure you get a tonneau cover for it um, to uh, you know to keep everything dry if if you do need to escape a storm. Um, whereas with the crossovers, oh, yeah. you know, you've got that space and, you know, with three of you, 
uh, you know, in the crossover, you know, they all have split folding rear seats. So you can fold down one side, you know, and have more cargo space in there as well. Yeah. Um, so I know, that's, that's a good option. I know more people buy the cross track, but the Outback's the better. That's the better deal, I think. Yeah. You get more that's a little, little bigger, more spacious, yeah. more spacious. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks, everybody. And don't forget, you can send in your questions and comments to feedback at wheelbearings.media. Uh, you can find us on, uh, on Mastodon um, and, uh, uh, and potentially other places. Um, not <laughs> rare, rarely checking in on Twitter anymore, but uh, still, still look in once in a while. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.